And there he is. Hey, Scott. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm good. What time of day am I getting you here, Scott? In Melbourne, Australia, it's uh, 9 a.m. Uh, 9 a.m., okay. What time is it with you? What is it here? 2 o'clock? I don't know, something like that. You're going to love the rest of the day. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, I'll be chatting with a loyal customer by the name of Lily Tomovich. Oh my God, these shoes are killing my feet. This was a mistake. They're totally worn. I don't have the box. In fact, I don't have the receipt. I'm going to feel like a schmuck walking in with worn shoes saying, hi, can I return these shoes I wore? But before that, I'm super excited to share my conversation with someone I've gotten to know through IGDS, the Intercontinental Group of Department Stores. From Australia, CEO of David Jones, Scott Fife. All right, so I come in contact with all kinds of different people through all kinds of different affiliations. And, and one of them is we are part of a department store group. It's called IGDS. Essentially what it is, this organization is they have the one, what they would consider preeminent department store per country, per kind of big country. And so we represent the United States, which is great. And we have a conference once a year, which we hosted last year, but this year we went to Dubai and one of the people that I talked to who I've met along the way and see, you know, at Fashion Week, what have you, is Scott Five. And Scott is the CEO of David Jones in Australia. So, Scott, thanks so much for being on the Nordy Pod. Great to see you, Pian. So pleased to join you. You know, one of the things that you might imagine is there be somewhat of a fraternity of these department stores and what have you. And it's actually really not true. If, it not, if not for something like this, there's really actually very little occasion for us to come together and discuss the common issues that we're working on. But that's really the spirit of what this group is about. And, and Nordstrom joined it several years ago, really as a run-up to us opening in New York, because we thought it'd be great for us to get learnings from the best department stores in the world about how to operate really an international kind of flagship store. And that's what got us into it. So Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about how long has David Jones been a, a part of this group? Yeah, so we've been part of it for four years. And I think it's a fantastic opportunity for leaders of the best department stores in the world really to collaborate, share ideas, share concepts in a, in a really open environment. And you and I were on a panel in Dubai together. It was fun. It was engaging. Um, and you can be much more open than you can be uh, in a public arena because it's a safe environment. Everyone's there to support each other. Everyone's there to network. Um, and it's to learn from each other. And I think that's the great thing of I'm here in Australia it's a long way from everyone else. So it's great to have this international group. And I think through Paris, London and Milan Fashion Week, you know, we see a lot of each other. And 
it's pretty lonely in retail at the top. So it's great to have these connections and these networks, which is which is great to utilize. And there's some great influential people that are leading some of the best department stores in the world. Yeah, you know, it's I get asked about what it's like at the fashion shows, what have you. And truly, one of the best things about it is that it gives people like us an opportunity to have some time to talk to each other. So as as people might not understand, we, we go to these fashion shows and a lot of it is hurry up and wait. You get in there and then you wait for it to start and they seat all the retail people usually together. Right. So we kind of commiserate about whatever's going on in the business. And since we're not competing directly with each other, it really behooves us to establish relationships. And I always find it great to be able to meet people like yourself, Scott, and and just ask how things are going. And, you know, we learn stuff and there's stuff that we can learn from each other. And, and as you'd mentioned, we ended up on a panel together that was talking about media networks as a, a marketing tool and actually even a revenue driver. Why don't you talk a little bit about what brought us together to talk on this panel? Again, the media network subject. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think the, the face of retail is changing. We've talked a lot about this bit together is, um, you know, the first real evolution of, of retail was the, the digital phenomenon that hit us. And, you know, we all talked about being omni-channel businesses that had to be physically fit and digitally fit and really as a department store give experiences to customers. And I think that's the great thing that we've talked about working with some of the most influential brands in the world. Uh, we're lucky to have very talented teams. And I think that's a really great way of us working together as well and building networks between your team and my team. Again, they're not competing with each other so we can share best ideas and concepts. And one of the things that when I started at David Jones and I started there in 2020, I mean, what a time to start in the middle of a, a pandemic trying to run the oldest department store in the world, still called its original name and revolutionized. Wait a minute. Is, is that true? It's the oldest department yeah. store in the world? Still called its original name, 1838. It's quite a legacy fact that we, we really trade on in Australia. Um, it's something we're really proud of. Well, that's pretty so, good. That history allows us to do um, some really great things because we've got one thing in the Australian New Zealand market, which is trust. So it's one of the things I looked at. We all talk about transformational journeys and retail businesses, um, but we really wanted to do something different. And really leaning into our legacy at DJs was what can we do from an experiential point of view that really leapfrogs our competition? And retail media is one of these. So if you think of our department stores, Pete, you probably sell the extensive brands that I do, two and a half to 3,000 different brands. We're rotating them. We're looking at trends. We're always looking at the best, greatest ideas. We've also got a job to trim the tail constantly to make sure that our brands stay relevant to, to our own brands. Um, but retail media gave us the opportunity in Australia really to invest in the customer experience. So um, really profiling from a physical point of view, um, you know, we've bought over 500 screens for our stores really to exemplify to our, our customers things like runway shows and things like some of the great product. Because when you go into a department store, we've certainly found our customers need to be inspired. And retail media is a really easy way of us commercializing some of that product and storytelling to our customers. It's, it's been a fascinating journey. We've done it really quickly. Um, we're not known as sometimes department stores as acting as quickly as some of the specialty and luxury guys. And, and this is one that we've lent into. And we've learned from you, Pete, the digital journey that you've done with 
sponsoring tiles on websites, sponsoring some of the things you do from a customer journey point of view at Nordstrom, you want to put the most appealing products in front of the most appealing customers. And it allows you a much more personalized journey than, than perhaps it had four or five years ago. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting subject. So for us, we got involved in the media network not as much through the physical store, like you're talking about how you're buying screens and allowing brands to articulate a message. Ours was, okay, we've got this website where, you know, we get a lot of eyeballs on that website and the brands we do business with see value in being able to put their message, their specific message about their specific brand in front of customers. So what's good about that for us is they could literally go from that discovery thing for a customer and they could literally buy it right on site because we carry it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I think the thing for you, P, is you're you're really advanced on digital and online. You know, you're significantly ahead of the Australian market. So that that piece for us is we we borrowed that concept and that sponsorship of that tile from you with with pride because you know our penetration of online is significantly less than yours is. Yeah, so let's talk about can you can you share that number? Or is that like a uh, a secret that you can't let people know? No, we're we're about eighteen percent online. Okay. Um, you know, my ambition is to get it to twenty to twenty five percent. You got to get a mix right between that physical experience and that digital customers want a product and want to secure the product. So that sponsorship, that retail media, that profiling of the brands, that's where brands like Nordstrom and David Jones really provide selection for people of, we've curated the best brand assortment in the world. And I think that's where department stores will win going forward. Yeah, so you say you guys, your digital penetrations in the high teens, we're, we're around 40%, um, which mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I learned from being part of this international department store group. I, th- I think we're more than most, if not more than all as a percentage. But I don't know from your point of view, it is from mine. It's, you know, talking all these different department stores from all over the world. While we do the same business, people are at different places in the journey in terms of what the customers want, how they engage with the brand, you know, physical, digital, all that stuff. I've, I've always kind of felt like, Use us as a crystal ball about this is coming. It cap, it happened to us, and it's going to happen to you too. And 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 so what we've been trying to do is help tell our story about what we're doing as a way it might help others. But the one thing I got was while we were talking about the media network, and and by the way, not my my big area of expertise, but I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll talk about it. So you and I were up there making that happen. You, you knew a lot more about it than I did, I think, but <laughs> I learned something from you guys and I hadn't really thought much about it because I really thought about it was really an online play, but you talked about how you leverage the space, the physical spaces and physical stores to be able to send brand messages that, you know, brands are willing to pay for. So is, is that where most of the media network stuff is happening for you guys is literally in the physical stores on those screens like you talked about? Yeah, I think, I mean, as the customer is changing, the customer is evolving, the younger customers that are coming to our brand and I'm sure are coming to your brand is, you know, they're all going through their, their iPads, they're all going through their iPhones um, and that digital evolution is coming out. So it's trying to connect that physical and the digital together. And I, it's interesting when you sit and listen to other people's stories, you know, you talk about some, some of our peers across the world still don't believe in digital. No, um, they, we spend a lot of time in these meetings. We got to get people in the stores. This digital stuff's a fad. Like, yeah, no, I don't think so. You guys might want to take this seriously. <laughs> you got to, you got to connect the physical and the digital together. And that's, that's where those of us that are winning, that will reflect back on what legacy we leave as leaders behind us. You've got to put the infrastructure in place 
You've got to put the platforms in place and ultimately the customer will decide. So you've got to be able to set your stores up as a theater. I say to my guys, it's like the West End show every day. We've got to put a different show on. And retail media helps you do that because, you know, with the imagery and with the messaging, you can spin that around pretty quickly. So we'll have in a day maybe five, five different ads, five different stories going through. And then you walk in the door the next day and it'll be completely different. Yeah, I was in our flagship store in Sydney yesterday and, you know, Gentle Monster, fantastic sunglass brand just launched with us. All of our screens, we didn't do any external marketing on it. We did it all through social media and our retail media and the results were fantastic. So I think it's just how you connect with the customer. If you can connect from a digital and a physical point of view and tell a consistent brand story, I think that's what the customer's looking for. Yeah. So um, I want to give you an opportunity to, you know, talk a little bit about the David Jones story you talked about being the, the literally the oldest department store in the world, which I did not know. I've had it described to me and I've visited, but it's been a long time. I haven't been to Australia since mm-hmm. I was a teenager, but someone says, oh, it's like the Nordstrom of Australia. So I, that may or may not be accurate, but we'll, I'll let you kind of riff on that. But tell us a little bit about the David Jones business and, and again, what brought you there and, and the journey that you guys are on. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it's an iconic business in Australia. Um, there's two real department stores here. We're much more the premium luxury department store. So I think we're much more aligned to the likes of Nordstrom. Um, when I started in the business, uh, I think, you know, strategically, I'd had five leaders in five years. So you know, everyone thought, oh, is this Scott's turned up? He's, he's the latest. I ran a specialty brand in Australia for five years, Country Road Group, which is another iconic Australian group of brands. Um, and I came to this business because it needed leadership, but most of all, it needed a purpose. And the purpose we've defined is to inspire like no other. Now, like no other is a, a kickback to the past of our legacy because we used to be really known for service. We really used to be known for um, our curation of products. And ultimately, you know, the to inspire base because everything we sell, everyone else sells. Right. So we've got to inspire that customer journey. Um, and I think that's what department stores need to do either through experiences, through service, or through the amazing curation of products. So I really wanted to take this challenge on, but it's not until you get thrown the keys and you're like, okay, well, where am I going to start here? And what, what it became really clear to me is you've got to focus on the big rocks, the things that make a difference to the customers. Don't sweat on the small stuff. Think about the big strategic initiatives. Um, And we defined four of these. So the first one, really simply, any retail business that doesn't know its customer isn't going to survive. So we use that first period of time really to flesh our data, understand the customer. And, you know, I'm proud to say of the five and a half to six million customers that shop with us uh, and we know, we now know over 70% of them. So I think, you know, underpinning data analytics, just getting your data in the right place to start with was really rudimentary and fundamental to our, our transformation. Then we want to be the curator of world-class brands. So we did look at UP, we looked at Selfridges, we looked at Le Bon Marché, and we look at actually what should we be selling because as a retail business, uh, if we don't sell the products and services customers want, you know, we're, we're not going to really go forward. The third one was about um, making sure we had experiences in stores. So, you know, department stores globally, if you don't invest in experiences, the, the atmosphere is not great. We had to right size our store portfolio. You and I have talked about that as well, Pete, in terms of how many stores do you need? If you've got a 40% online business, how many physical stores do you need? We have too many stores. We, we want to rationalize our space by about 20%, whether that's through store closures 
or through actual making some of our stores just smaller so we can improve that experience. And, and, and that's been a challenge for us because, you know, you walk in, we anchor a lot of shopping centres and standalone shopping malls. So that's been a challenge for us, but working with our landlords, we've made good progress on that. And the flip side of that is the investment in digital, which I think is any leader in retail, if you're not physically and digitally connected, and the digital part drives the innovation. That's been a huge focus for us. And in 2024 into 2025, we will really invest in our digital journey. And then the final one is about transforming our capabilities. In retail businesses, it's how you buy the product, to how you sell the product, to how you move the product. So that's a big opportunity for us. Our cost to serve in Australia is too high and we touch the product too many times. So as we now know that how customers want to shop with us physically and digitally, it gives us the opportunity to redefine that, which is exciting. And actually the most important thing of the whole strategy is the investment in our people. So as you and I know, Pete, uh, the people that serve our customers, the people that interact with our customers, the people we pick our products, Without people, we don't have businesses. Um, and that's been a huge focus for me to, to really get people moving in the right direction under our what we've called Vision 2025 strategy. Well, I mean, you talk about the big rocks to focus on. Those are big rocks. That's like the whole business, what you basically just yeah. laid out there. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's really clear is they didn't bring you in to keep it status quo and just kind of man the ship. They like, obviously there's a transformational journey happening there. Let's talk a little bit about it. Had the business been challenged for some time and then it just got to be the point like, hey, look, we've got to really do something different here. And then they brought you in. Was that part of the mandate for you? Yeah, I think if you look, if you look back on the, the ownership of the business from 2016 to 2018, uh, it's a good lesson for all of us. Previous management, I'm not here to talk about what they did right and what they did wrong. All I'm going to take is the key lessons learned from it. They tried to instigate too much change too quickly. They tried to change too many things in a short period of time, hence why there was such a change of leadership and such a lack of direction when I started. Um, ultimately, I was brought in to create shareholder value for the business and through developing a strategy some of these objectives I've talked about. And ultimately, the owners at the time when I was employed to do this business weren't sure that they wanted to own this business long-term. So I took it through a sale process in late um, 2022 into 2023. Um, and that's why it's moved from public ownership to private ownership. And I think the great thing for me, Pete, is the new owners have bought the strategy, they've bought the vision, they've bought the capability and the team, which, you know, I've brought in a completely new management team to revolutionize and evolutionize this business. And it's an amazing opportunity for me and the team. And there's a there's a responsibility there for us to take this iconic business forward. And, you know, we work around things like we want to be the authors of memories. We want to be the champions of excellence. We want to be influential innovators. But actually, most importantly, I want to leave a legacy. And I want to leave a legacy in this business that is better than what I picked up on day one. So talk about when you got that job, what were the attributes of the David Jones business that really resonated with customers and and, not, and weren't things you needed to change, but things you needed to build on? So the first thing we did, and it leans into the people part of the business. So I, I went out to stores, I did listing groups. We did an anonymous survey to all of our employees, all 10,000 of our employees got an opportunity to tell me what they thought. And what resonated really strongly was, you know, we, we ended up with five, 600 hours of internal feedback. I also asked our partners as well what they wanted and 
what they felt were the good parts of DJs. And without any hesitation, everyone came back and kept telling me, David Jones used to be great at being the home of Australian fashion. David Jones used to be great at service. David Jones used to have a great financial services business. And I was like, oh my goodness, like there's a heritage here, there's a love, there's a passion. So actually, when we talk about big rocks, what actually we were being told, we couldn't commercialize, we couldn't understand the data because the data was all over the place. And I couldn't know you as a customer or me as a customer, Pete, because you were just part of a data mess behind the scene. And actually, we did some really short term, and I think that's what's great in retail. You can do some really quick wins. We brought some of our best, we used our credit card information on customers to invite some of our best customers in for an experience using some of our luxury and premium brands and talk to them about what we were thinking of doing in the business. And it's amazing when you talk to customers and most importantly, you listen to customers and then you instigate things um, like brand experiences, pop-ups in stores, dining facilities into stores that are pop-ups just to create that ambience and that interest. Um, and I was anecdotally share one with you. I was talking to this customer in Sydney and she said, I said, oh, welcome along. It's great to have you here. It's all very relaxed. I think we're having a glass of bubbles together. And she said, oh, can I just ask you why I've been invited here? And I said, because you're one of our <laughs> top customers. And she said, but I never shop in this store. And I said, yeah, but you do shop with David Jones. I'm thinking, have we got our data right here? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, actually, I've got four kids. I'm a working mom. I'm hugely busy. I do all my shopping online. David Jones is the only platform I look to shop online. I suppose that's why you're so valuable to us. So it really struck me of that the customer actually is, is thinking of digital as different to physical. And we've put huge investments into our top stores to really create that environment where we can invite customers in. I mean, it's not always about selling. It's about experiencing different brands and different experiences. And she walked away at the end of the night saying, Scott, I'm going to come back to this store. I really enjoy it. And I've really enjoyed you know, the interaction with you and your team. So it's the little things in retail that I think make a huge difference. And I think that's why you and I get out of bed every day. Yeah, that anecdotal stuff that you get from customers can really help confirm if you're on the right track. But talk maybe a little bit about some of the objective outcomes and the measuring sticks that we work off of in this business. Have you been able to um, create an inflection point and change your results through these, uh, these strategies that you've been working on? Yeah, so one of the things we didn't do, Pete, was we didn't know what our customers thought. So our feedback loop of what our customers wanted, what they were saying to us. So now every single day, and in retail, we love KPIs, we love performance indicators. So I can tell you every day in every one of my stores and online what our net promoter scores are, and we've set ourselves some targets. We actually, I mean, incredibly, we had a negative net promoter score online because the experience was so bad. Wow, that's that's bad. I've never heard of a negative that's, net promoter score. That's pretty bad. That's I'm not even going to give you zero. And we <laughs> deliberately did it to give them a score. Can you go below zero? And we got below zero. So we seriously were letting the customers down. We've now got that nearly to sixty percent, and I'm pushing the customers on uh, and you know to give us more feedback. So when you buy a product from David Jones now, you will ask you for your feedback not only on the product, but on how it was serviced to you. Was it on time? Was it timely? Um, so we use this real-time data now to, to really analyze that. So from a customer perspective, much more focused on the customer. We react, we read, we start every trading meeting with what the customer told us. We can all read the set of numbers. 
So we are hugely curious about the customers and, and, and can we get that granular level of detail on customers? So that's, that's one we've significantly moved forward in the last three years since I've been with the business. And then the other matrix of, you know, we've got more brands that want to work with us. So we are bringing some of the best brands from across the world. I think we're fortunate in Australia. We've got quite a, a microclimate of economic strength. Um, and I think ultimately, um, you know, the, the profitability of the business has moved significantly forward. When it started, it was a loss-making business. We've now, we've now got it to an EBITDA, sort of 5% return on sales. And we, we want to double that in the next three years. And with the key objectives we've got, we think we can do it. One of the KPIs I look at in your business, which I think is a, is a key one, is our sustainability. Um, we know that retail businesses are damaging to the environment when you look at the whole supply chain. And one of the key initiatives that I'm really focused on, I started this in, in the early 2000s at Marks & Spencer's on their sustainability journey. I think we've all got a responsibility to, to do the right thing by our people and by the planet. Um, and we really need to now focus on the sustainability attributes. I mean, we were, we were selling things in plastic bags uh, a year ago, and I just said to my guys, you can't do that anymore. We've got to get rid of this. We, we've really got to get ourselves fit for the future in terms of sustainability. And we're now doing things like reloop, recycle, and some really brilliant initiatives. But we've got to do more on this, and we've got to push yourself every day on what that looks like which we are going to do going forward. And I know, Pete, you've got a big initiative on that and you're one of the leaders in that area. Wow, it really sounds like you guys have a lot going on. I mean, all that stuff sounds super familiar to me, but I mean, I, I can imagine that, you know, when you got in there and had to really transform the business, it put a pretty sharp focus on, really, I'm just, I, you know, that the status quo wasn't going to cut it. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. And, and Pete, standing still in retail, and this is, you know, this is a great journey for me personally, and to bring a team on this journey, standing still was just not an option. Um, we had burning platforms everywhere. You know, when I started, we were riddled with debt. Uh, we weren't generating cash. We weren't focused on the customer. So actually, you know, uh, it was very clear to me that sitting with the status quo, you can't do that. And I would say to anyone going into any retail environment is standing still is just an option and try things. And we didn't get everything right to start with. I'm not saying we're still getting everything right today, but that constant learning, being, being um, prepared to make mistakes and learn from these mistakes is key in retail. And, you know, on the retail media thing that we spoke about on the panel together in Dubai, we'll get some things right and we'll get some things wrong. You know, I, I mentioned to you, I don't want to end up, you know, we look at these sports jerseys that have got sports sponsorship everywhere on their jersey. I don't want our department stores to look like that because we'll give our brands away. We'll lose the iconic nature of David Jones or Nordstrom. And you've got to control what you're doing. Um, and you've got to be in control of your own destiny. But I think we're lucky to work with some of the best partners in the world. You sell them, I sell them. And they need us. And the future department stores, when you walk away from somewhere like Dubai from the conference, you think you can constantly learn from each other and it's, it's a great place to be. Yeah, I, that was one of the learnings I had from being on that panel with you is you could go too far on selling your assets and stuff to brands in a way that just makes you a, a billboard for someone else and you lose your own brand identity. So I use that literal example you talk about with the sports jerseys when they get all these sponsors all over. It's like, what team are we even talking about here after a while? So <laughs> that, was, that was a good one to me. That was illustrative. So... Look, Scott, I, you, you've been super nice to, to talk to me a little bit about what you've got going on there. And um, 
I think there's, to your point, there's a lot that we can learn from each other. And I, I'm glad I've gotten to know you and I, and I hope we can continue to partner together on stuff. You know, we're, we're in the same boat here trying to make a difference and not standing still and what have you. And uh, I, I like listening to the things you're working on. It's so much of it sounds familiar to me and the things that we're working on, too. So anyway, thanks so much for being on this. And I wish you guys all the best. Let's no, no, keep no. let's keep in touch. Uh, likewise, be best of luck to you guys. And it's a real pleasure to, to chat to you, you know, an iconic person running the iconic U.S. business talking to us in Australia is uh, is the power of collaboration and, and working together. So really great to chat to you so uh, you know at the end of every episode we say and give us a call or send us an email if you have feedback good or bad and we get feedback and as you know if if you've listened to this podcast often We've aired some of that. So there was one that caught my attention recently, and that was some feedback we got from Lily Tomovich, who's been nice enough to join us here in the Nordy Pod today and share her experience. So Lily, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much, Pete. So I think it's good to get some context um, about you and, you know, your perspective as a customer um, and, and talk about, you know, where you shop, and how long you've been a customer, but also what you do for a living and, and how that also gives you a, a perspective on what it is that we're trying to do around here. Sure. Well, thanks, Pete. So, I mean, if you ask my husband, Pete, he'll tell you I'm a professional shopper. <laughs> That's what I do. We should get but him reality- on the podcast. Let's do that. Is he there? Let's get him going. <laughs> but uh, the reality is I do actually have another job. And uh, most of my career actually has been in marketing and probably the last decade around uh, customer experience, which is why I've been such a huge follower of Nordstrom's because I think you're best in class and I like to, to shamelessly learn from you all. See, now these are the kind of comments I really like getting. So this is good. You're kind of making <laughs> my day here at the end of a, of a long week. So tell me about where you shop and what your experience was that compelled you to contact us. Yeah. So um, this interaction happened at um, UTC in La Jolla. Okay. My daughter goes to school in University of San Diego, and I was flying from Philly to San Diego to spend a weekend with her. And uh, of course, all the rage, as you know, is is running shoes. And so I had ordered online from Nordstrom's a very cool, bespoke pair of Stan Smith Adidas for the trip. Okay. So they arrived, and of course, I took a picture of them. I sent them to my daughter. I'm like, look how cool mom is. Do you like my Stan Smiths? And she's like, oh, mom, you're so cool. Can't wait to see you. So I put them on my feet. And as you know, airports are just, you know, you're walking miles and miles. And by the time I got to the gate in Philly, I went, oh, my God, these shoes are killing my feet. This was a mistake. Ah, oh, these are not going to be good. So I landed in San Diego, and of course, the first thing we did was get in the car, and we were going to go to UTC, go shop, have lunch. And I said to my daughter, I, I got to change my shoes. I said, this was such a mistake. I know they look great, but they're killing my feet. And she actually said, well, Mom, we're right by Nordstrom's. Like, why don't you go try and return them? And I said, oh, my gosh, Al, like, they're totally worn. I don't have the box. In fact, I don't have the receipt, although I did order online, so at least I have some proof that I bought them there. 
But I really, I'm going to feel like a schmuck walking in with worn shoes saying, hi, can I return these shoes I wore? Anyway, she said, well, it's worth a try. And since we literally parked outside Nordstrom, I thought, okay, what the heck? So I walked right up to the service desk and sheepishly, I said to this girl, I said, look, I'm really embarrassed. I've totally worn these shoes, as you can see, but they're killing my feet. And so, you know, is there anything you can do for me? And if not, I totally understand. I'm you know, more than happy to just kind of donate these. And without, you know, a blink of an eye, she looked at me. She said, not a problem at all. And I thought, really? And she's like, no, not a problem. We'll take those back. So anyways, long story short, I looked at my daughter and my daughter was like, see, mom, I, you know, I told you. And uh, I just thought, God, I love Nordstrom's. Like I really, it was just one of those, you know, re reaffirming moments of why, why I love Nordstrom's. And I've had multiple episodes like that over the years. So that's a really lover. good story. Yeah. That's, it's a familiar story to me. And I think what really brings to mind, there's, there's a couple of things, but one of them is by far and away, the large, large percentage of our customers come in with legitimate, honest issues and problems yeah. that we should be able to solve. What I like most about this was the instant reaction that you received from that person there in San Diego that says, yep, no problem. We'll just do it. We're not like, yeah. oh, I'll call the manager and maybe and we'll do it for you this time. But don't do this again. Exactly. The fact that the the person here Nordstrom didn't know who you are, didn't know you're a loyal customer, didn't but didn't need to know any of that. She believed you. We took care of it. We made a happy customer. And that's that's what the whole thing is about. And I swear, I mean, if. The, to the extent that people have an impression about Nordstrom and a favorable one, it almost always ties back to a story similar to yours where something happened, went wrong and we fixed it. It's, it's yeah. as simple as that. And also, by the way, the dot com folks, whenever you call and speak to an agent about your order or have an issue, they're just they're phenomenal. They're always incredibly helpful. I mean, I've had a few situations where, by the way, here's something else I love, Pete. I'm really going to make your Friday. What I love, and I don't know if you guys do this deliberately or not, but to me, it's a surprise and delight. I always get either from Rack or Nordstrom packages earlier than I expected. Oh, well, that's good. And, yeah, and I, I, and again, it may be distribution and logistics and where, I, where I'm living, but I love that. It's a surprise and delight that it arrives earlier. On the odd occasion, and I remember at Christmas, I had ordered, I think it was some shoes I needed for an event, and I paid whatever the overnight shipping fee or two day shipping fee and it didn't arrive. And so I called and I said, Hey, it didn't arrive. Can you tell me where it is? And they proactively said, you know, I know you paid $24 for the overnight or what have you. And they credited it back to me, you know, so it's, it's great. Look, we promised you something. We made a commitment. We delivered, we didn't honor our commitment. We're going to credit you back the fees that we, you charged for shipping. So gotta love it. Well, that all sounds good, Lily. I mean, you're, you're a loyal customer. You listen to the podcast. You're checking a lot of boxes over here. So I'm really <laughs> yeah. glad I've got a chance to meet you today. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been, uh, it's delightful just to get to, uh, to meet you. And uh, I love, as I said, I love the podcast. I love the mix of let, let us take you behind the scenes and show you what it's really like to celebrating some, you know, designer icons in the industry and so anyways i i love what you're doing oh thanks Keep no it's, it it's it's been fun for us too we enjoy it so hey lily you're so nice to take the time and share this feedback with us i mean it's as as we like to talk about around here especially when you get negative feedback that feedback's a gift so you always got to <laughs> embrace it but in this case it was all very positive and that's great and that again that helps reaffirm 
a lot of things that we're trying to do, but you're, you're nice to share it with us. We appreciate you being a customer and it's really a pleasure to meet you. So thanks, Lily. Oh, delightful. Thank you so much, Pete. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to nordstrom.com slash nordypodcast or follow us on our Instagram page at the Nordy Pod to stay up to date on new episodes, announcements, and more. We'd also really like to hear about your experience with Nordstrom. So if you have a story about how you've received great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can even give us a call and leave a voicemail, and you may just get a chance to talk to me personally on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy, drop us a line and be part of the NordyPod. And make sure to join us next time when I sit down with the medical mythbuster, participant in the White House Office of Public Engagement's Healthcare Leaders in Social Media Roundtable, founder and director of the Coog Health Academic Mentoring Program, and current medical student at Washington State University, Joelle Burvell. I remember there's this one moment in my class where we were talking about this condition that's called cyanosis. It's essentially when your skin turns blue. And I kept looking at myself and being like, I'm not really going to turn blue. <laughs> and I turned to my friend, Brooke, who was sitting next to me. I said, should I ask the professor, like, how do you find cyanosis in a black patient? And she's like, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. I asked him that question and he had a great answer. But I kept, I walked out of there and I asked myself, if I hadn't asked that question in that moment, would anyone have ever raised their hand? And it made me realize that there's a lot of ways that medicine does that, where people that have dark skin like me aren't included. It is amazing the things that Joel has been able to accomplish in his young life. With over 850,000 followers on social media and huge guest speaking engagements at the Food and Drug Administration, Google, Meta, and more, Joel is educating the world and enacting change to longstanding racial disparities in the healthcare system. You won't want to miss his incredible story next time on the Nordy Pod.